Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Simon Yu. Simon is the CEO and co-founder of StormX. StormX allows users to earn cash back in crypto when they shop from stores like eBay, Nike, and 1,000 plus stores. At the age of 19, Simon was forced to drop out of college when his parents declared bankruptcy and sold Korean tacos to students around his college campus to start his first business. StormX has raised $45 million plus dollars with users across 187 plus countries and is also the first blockchain company to be a jersey patch in the NBA with a partnership with the Portland Trailblazers. Simon has also been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, NASDAQ, and has spoken at numerous conferences. Simon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Maggie. Of course. Simon, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I mean, we've been following along with your journey. And we read your Forbes article, your DeepWire article, and your story itself is so very inspirational, no? you know? So we really want to dive deep into that and really hear about how your, how your childhood was like. Like, how did your parents raise you? Where, where, did, you, where, did, you where did you grow up and how did you learn your entrepreneurship nature? Yeah, um, so I grew up, yeah, so I was born in Korea, but I moved to the States when I was five. Uh, and then we moved in, we moved to Portland for the first, you know, better half of my life. Uh, my parents always ran a small business, you know, the typical immigrant kind of family. And they had a Korean restaurant at one point. And uh, lastly, they had a, a frozen yogurt shop. Uh, yeah, which is what they didn't do too well. And then, you know, sort of forced me down this entrepreneurial journey path. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's been interesting because I've seen, you know, my parents always working really hard, but then it also made me question oftentimes because, you know, I would see them working like 12, 16 hour days, like every day, you know, nonstop all like 365 days, maybe except like Christmas and New Year's or something. And like, we still don't have a lot of money. Like how are all these guys, you know, that are across our street able to go to like Disneyland and just go to like Florida for like vacation. And like my parents are, you know, just working every day and it's just, I, I thought there was, there has to be more or there's something that we're missing. And, uh, yeah, I just started asking a lot of questions and sort of when my parents declared bankruptcy, that's when, uh, I sort of like, I didn't have any money. So I had to, like, I had a minimum wage job and I had to try to, you know, earn more money to try to survive and start my business and then just failed and kept, you know, doing better and asked, you know, just kept improving as, um, more experience started happening. So yeah i mean that's that's so that's so strong of you just where it just took it upon yourself to to make the best of a bad situation 
I mean, honestly, I follow your story a lot because it's very similar to mine. My parents also went bankrupt when I was 19. And that's probably the first time I ever see my mom and dad really depressed and, and then cry because they, this is their lifelong business. Seeing them fail that hard and seeing them start over again was like, holy moly, like, where is my life going? Where's my parents' life going? Are we going to be homeless soon? Stuff like that, right? And, you know, yeah. I, I really appreciate the hustle. And I want to dive deep into when you dropped out. What was your mindset like at that point? And I know money, money, money was always on probably both our minds, but like, how did you materialize all that emotion into action and really made the right next logical step? Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of like what you said is, you know, with your parents as well, like, you know, I, I think when you fail in your twenties or thirties, it's, it's fine. Cause you can get back up on your feet, but you know, my parents, they're in their late fifties and it's just, you know, how many more opportunities do you have? So they're really sad and that's a hard time for them. And, you know, I, at that time I was, you know, going to university of Washington. So I was out of state and the tuition bill was pretty high. So I just told my dad like, Hey, you know, I know there's a lot of pressure. So I'm just going to drop out. I'm going to try to save money and try to work my way. So I can go back to college. You know, I made that bold statement and then I got a, you know, bank teller job at Bank of America kind of barely paid above minimum wage. So like, I, I realized I can't pay for rent. I can't pay food. I can't pay for, you know, my college loans just started activating because I stopped going to school and it was like $600 a month. I'm like, holy crap, I can't do this. So you know, it's, I had to either find a second job or I had to try to start my own business, which, you know, I said, Hey dad, like, you know, Seattle, it rains a lot. People study pretty late here and it's kind of sketchy. So I, I think there's a, a need for people to like have like some sort of delivery service for people in libraries and like frats and all that stuff. And I'm like, can you let me borrow a hundred dollars? And it's kind of a big ask right now. Cause you know, things are tough and, you know, given that he just failed his business as well. And being a very traditional Asian parent, you know, I was trying to get an accounting degree. He's like, no, just go to school, focus on it. Like don't start a business, like just get a safe job and you know, do that. So he was really against it. And I eventually let him con you know, convince him to let me borrow a hundred dollars. Uh, and then the first two weeks, uh, you know, I had no marketing budget because like, that's all I had. So like I just posted, like I, I can't draw, like that's the one thing. So I just drew this really sort of shitty looking penguin and then did a little bit of Photoshop and I put it on Facebook and uh, I just made a Facebook page and then I just you know, posted every day from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. saying that, you know, this Korean taco, bulgogi taco was available for delivery. It's like $3 per one taco and you can order it anytime you want. And like, I, I ran out of money because like no one ordered it and I just had to keep making, you know, ingredients and stuff. And so I, I kept, got to the point where, man, I can't even eat food. So I, I just had to eat peanut butter jelly sandwiches almost every meal. And like, you know, during like lunchtime, like our coworkers would go out to eat at a restaurant or something like that. But it's like 12 bucks. So I would just make an excuse and be like, Oh, I'm just, I, I can't like, I have to do, you know, homework or something like that. Cause I was taking online classes, but it was, it was really tough. But then eventually like several months later, like there came this one, one moment where two people that I had never talked to before they both ordered on the same day like one guy ordered two tacos so i got six dollars total and the other guy ordered one taco and i got you know three dollars but one of the guys texted back and he was like dude this is the best taco i've ever had in my life and i thought like wow this is really awesome and i said can you post that on facebook and this is like around 2011 so facebook had no algorithms that you know it's just like once you posted something every single one of your friends could see it and so there was no filtering, you know, there was no advertising or anything like that between Facebook. So 
like he posted that on my Facebook page and all of a sudden all of his friends started seeing like, yo, what the hell is a Korean taco? Like this seems pretty awesome. And then started getting a ton of likes, started getting a ton of followers. And then I started seeing that happening. So I texted the other guy immediately. I'm like, Hey, can you post, you know, if this experience was good and he did the same thing and all of his friends started liking it as well. And then the business started really picking up. And yeah, I think the first day, you know, I had like $9 of revenue. And then the second day it was like $27 and then, you know, it was like Friday or Thursday. And then the week after like Monday, it was like a 80 or hundred dollars. And then it just kept growing. And I was doing like all the driving, all the cleaning, you know, all the like cooking, everything by myself. And like, it grew to a point where like, okay, I could either drop out of school. This is a real business or, you know, try to go to school and graduate with a degree. I thought going back to school and finishing up my degree and you know, finance would be more helpful. So I decided to put that business on pause for a bit went to Amazon for an internship, uh, got to work at some banks. And then when I graduated, got a couple of my Amazon buddies and my former manager at Amazon to also invest in a taco truck. And so we bought a truck. And then while I got a job in banking as an underwriter, I was also running the truck on the side as well uh, when I graduated. So that is, that is an amazing hustle, you know, just, just making something happen out of nothing. And your mom must be really proud, right? Because you ended up using her Korean recipe, a part of your tacos. So she's smiling right now, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning, you know, they were against it. But then I, I think, you know, the $100, I gave my dad like $500 back. And that's when he realized he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, it's a pretty good return. And it's like, there's something there. And uh, yeah. So you, gotta, you gotta sneak peek at what your future IPO would be like, right? 5X, yeah. 30X. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how'd you come up with the name of uh, Bomba Fusion for the taco truck? Yeah, it was, um, so Bomba means like bomb in Spanish. And then, you know, the fusion part is like Korean and Mexican. So we decided Bomba Fusion is a pretty good name. And also, you know, when we're coming up with names is like, is the domain name available? Cause you always want the .com and that was one of the ones that stuck and also the trademark and everything. And yeah, it's, it's, I, for me, like, I felt like, you know, a business's name isn't as important as like the core structure. Cause you can name it like Amazon or Zillow or whatever. And like, there, there's no word about it. Like Google, there's no word before. It's just what you make of it is the important part. Um, but the most important part is that you own the com domain. So yeah. That's such a crazy story. And yeah, I love the hustle. And the fact that you leverage like Facebook's algorithm or as a matter of fact, not the algorithm, <laughs> because I remember when Facebook just did like the most recent post on top and like everyone saw it. And then you, you know, use that strategy to push the, the talk with de- delivery to virality and turned like your hundred dollars or whatever to $10,000 I read. Right. Yeah. And then you learned how to trade stock options and turn that $10,000 into $30,000 yeah. to launch your, your Korean food truck. And you were doing that while you were a bank underwriter. Can you talk about how like you were managing your time at that time? Like, was it difficult? Like, how were you feeling at that time? Yeah. Difficult in a sense that I mean, my, my day job was pretty boring, you know, just the Excel monkey, you know, just kind of like most finance jobs uses, uh, it, it, it doesn't take much brain power. So it's just like, you know, you get the job done. And then most people at night, like you work 40 hours or 60 hours a week. And then after that, like, what do you do with your time? Like most people will go out and drink beer with their friends or like do some extracurricular activity or something like that. Dude, I was so heavily in debt. I had like, you know, 40 K coming from student loans, but then that turned into 60 K with interest. So you know, the monthly payments were pretty high. And so I'm like, I just got to get this paid off as soon as possible. And 
So I just kept working as hard as I could, you know, just spent, you know, daytime, you know, I eventually convinced my parents to manage the truck day-to-day operation. And I sort of managed to, I managed everything from behind the scenes, uh, but like we had to find like new spots. And in the beginning, like, dude, I had no idea what I was doing. It's just all like trial and error and trying to figure out like, okay, how do we make operations better, more smoother and like, uh, the first two years, like we weren't profitable because like the strategy that I thought was like, okay, we're trying to focus on lunchtime crowd. Like let's make the pricing as low as possible. And then that'll attract people to come and like, like good value, good food. And like, it'll be like, it'll, it'll start getting viral and people will start coming to us. Right. And then that's sort of the wrong approach because our cash flow was really low. We always also had a lot of issues with the truck because truck caught on fire twice. Like we, we didn't, I didn't, we didn't have that much capital to begin with. So we bought a really shitty truck. So like the truck caught on fire, like maxed out all my credit cards. And it was just like, there's so many times where you just kind of, it's like starting a company is always about like trying to figure out how to solve problems. And that's definitely a unique thing. It's like when an employee calls me while I'm at work and like at my bank job and then they're like, Hey, the truck caught on fire. I'm like, okay, then buy it. Yeah, this is just like there was a couple like we I, I re- really use data to my advantage, and so like Square does a pretty good job in terms of data analytics, and so like originally you know so there's the two things so one pricing and then two sort of the menu options. So when we first launched, we had very traditional like Mexican style like tacos and burritos with like cheese, cilantro, and all that stuff like lettuce, and uh, we also had like a bibimbap style, which was like you know we had two different things, and it took more time to prep all the different vegetables required, all the different, you know, rice and all that stuff. And oftentimes the orders would take really long time because there was so much you know, ingredients that the line cooks would have to like go all the way here and go all the way here and, you know, just like grab and there's this very tight space. So the turnaround time, especially for lunch is how many orders can you get out? It took a very long time. And then when we looked at the data, it was like more than 80% of our sales were pibimbap, which is, you know, the Korean rice dish. So, okay, the data is telling us like, we should just get rid of the other, you know, the Korean taco, I mean, just the traditional taco Mexico burrito style. And then we got rid of that. All of a sudden our prep time, like even for the kitchen was much faster. And then in the, within the truck too, uh, we were able to pump out orders from like five minutes to less than a minute for each order. And then it just became like much, much faster. And then from a pricing perspective as well too, because we had underpriced ourselves so much, like we didn't have much profit left over to cover, you know, machinery and all that stuff too, that was breaking down. But also it was like, there was a psychological thing where people thought it was too cheap and that the ingredients must be bad, even though we were sourcing really high ingredients, like food quality was like our number one focus. And then we were capped out at a certain amount of orders. I think it was like, you know, 60 to 80 or something. But then when we increased the price about 30%, we started getting more orders. It was like hundred to like 140. And then we also had more profit margin because people thought like, okay, wow, this is actually really good. The quality is really good. And so there's a weird psychology around food. Like, like people think, you know, expensive is better, even though we're using the same ingredients. And um, so that, that helped too. So yeah, I mean that, and then eventually, you know, I started, you know, reading a lot about Bitcoin and blockchain because I was in banking and I thought this is going to disrupt you know, banks, that's my immediate thoughts is because like transaction fees are so low to send, you know, money halfway across, like anywhere you want to in the world. And then like, just like, that's, yeah. And then it started getting into the crypto world and started, you know, that journey and quit my banking job. And 
yeah, I ended up driving for like Uber and Lyft to try to pay off my student loans faster. And yeah, just more stories behind that as well. Dude, that's, that's incredible about a hustle, you know, so shout out to you, shout out to your team as well. And, and I also saw an article that your current CTO was your former food truck manager. Is that true? Calvin? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So interesting story about him too. So we both went to the same school. He was a computer science major. Um, never met him in school because like usually business and CS majors in our school didn't really, there was no like chance of meeting because it's so far away. But then he was building, you know, just a very simple Bitcoin app where you can earn like two tenths of a penny for watching a short video. And like, he was interested in Bitcoin. I was like, this was 2014. Like there were very few of us and we would always geek out about it. Um, but he was building that during the like nighttime and he just needed some like income to just support his rent and stuff. So he applied to be my manager of the food truck. And then that's how we first met. And then I eventually joined and then, yeah, we really started making it an official company and started scaling and had really hard times uh, trying to fundraise because back in the early days of crypto, every investor thought it was some sort of like money laundering or drug smuggling kind of thing because this Mount Cox and Silk Road, like that was the only thing that was on the news. And like, so sad to put money from the food truck that I earned and drove for Lyft and Uber and put that all into this startup, try to bootstrap and survive. And yeah, so at one point, I think I had like four or five jobs or something. Like it's pretty crazy. That is that is insane, you know, yeah. and to manage that much. But the one thing that we hear that's common among your story is your level of ambition. It's like you want to you want to do a lot of things. You want to create a lot of things and offer a lot of value to the world. You know, and that's, that's a huge, huge commonality that we see a lot of people in our podcast have is that hunger and desire to learn more and do more. Yeah. So, you know, the first two years you guys are bootstrapping, scaling, and you guys managed to like hit 500 K in like two years, which is pretty insane, you know? But the one thing I want to learn more about was when the market hit sort of bearish back in like 2018, 2019, how were you guys able to like weather that storm and, and continue convincing people that this is the product feature because you know when everything's great everyone's always be like hey simon great job how'd you do it you're a genius yeah. it goes bad it's like that's when your true expertise and nature comes out right yeah, so how, did, yeah. how were you able to weather that storm back during that down period yeah and i i mean I, if you want to start a company you have to sort of deal with all this sort of behind your back right and, and, yeah and when i first started the food truck or the or just the delivery part back in college too the hardest part was like you know i'm korean american i went to church and then like a lot of the church kids are talking behind my back and they're like i heard this one kid call me you know like you know in the korean translation like for peasant and like he didn't think i would hear it but you know i heard it and like that just completely turned me off from church and like i just sort of you know especially asian culture there's a lot of gossip going on right so you have to withstand that. So like now, you know, it doesn't really phase me, but like, you know, when I'm in early college days, like I can barely eat, like I am in that situation. My mental like situation is pretty weak, but then you know, I survived it. I, you know, it was able to thrive from sort of the challenges and make that into strength. And sort of like when 2018, 19 happened for crypto, yeah, everyone like started shitting on crypto again. Right. Like just because like prices went down, like a lot of the companies were folding, like it's a lot of regulation uncertainties and stuff too. And for us, like we had raised a lot of money towards the end of 2017. We didn't really have good product market fit, but then we hired a ton of people from Seattle and it was a very expensive burn rate. So we got to the point too, where we had to like 
lay off like most like 80% of our staff. And it was like, we had a skeleton crew left and, you know, we had other problems as well too, on top of that. And, you know, like, I think most people would have given up at that point. Cause you're like, you're running out of money fast. Like, you know, the products doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Like pretty much like everyone talking shit about you again, but it's just got my heads down and just kept focusing. And, you know, another part, I think, you know, that helped us survive too is Kevin and I have good chemistry in terms of like, you know, I think a lot of founders typically fight and have, you know, breakup issues and that, that, that makes it really hard to run a company, but even through thick and thin, you know, he's like, you know, I believe in you. Like, I, I, you know, I think we'll get through this and then we'll be able to survive. And yeah, we just kept grinding, honestly, just eventually we got to a point where we started doing really well again. And then, you know, all the investors wanted to invest and we recently raised like $50 million, but outside of that, we didn't have to invest because our company was also doing very well. And, you know, it's just like now everyone's, you know, it's just, it's a cycle, right. But people say like, Hey, like, you know, doing really well, like you said, and like, Oh, you guys are awesome. And then they'll ignore you when shit goes bad. They're like, you dumbass, you know, like just like be on your back. And then when things are good, they'll start reaching out to you again and be like, Hey, you know, we were best friends at one point, blah, blah, blah. But like, you just have to ignore all the noise. Don't, don't worry, Simon. We'll always be your best friend. Just keep going on, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, also congratulations on being able to sponsor the Portland Trailblazers as well. That's their hometown team. What was that feeling like when you're like, Oh my God, like, I was able to sponsor this team that group watching, you know, and that's, yeah. that's crazy. I love it. Yeah, And it was, it was the first, I think their first time sporting a, a crypto ad patch. Right. And then it's yeah. X first partnership with a sports organization. So it's, it's a really, really special partnership. It's a big deal. It's yeah. a really big deal. So congrats. Thank you. Yeah. I, I still, I mean, the season hasn't started yet, so it, it still doesn't feel like it's happening. The summer league just started. So we just got to finally see the patch in real time and action, but yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like to be able to see, you know, my favorite players wearing our logo and stuff like that. It's, it's just like, sometimes I have to take a step back and like remind myself like, okay, I came from like hundred dollars to like where we're at right now, you know, it's, but I, it's it's hard to sort of grasp it because I'm always just working and just trying to think of like, okay, what can we do next to, you know, continually making this bigger and like or to, you know, continually growing that sometimes it's harder grasping like, okay, we actually did this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely stop to smell the roses and this is the perfect opportunity to stop and smell those roses. I mean, take a giant step back. I think we skipped this, this we accidentally skipped this part already, but to our listeners, what is Thormax? StormX is the easiest way you can earn crypto by just through cashback. You can shop from stores like Nike or eBay or Banana Republic, or we have a, about a thousand. What we're building overall at the company is try to create the, a marketplace where people can just come and find different ways to earn money online. And that's, that's our, that's our goal. So we started with, we actually started with micro tasks. So you can answer like survey questions, like try different games and, you know, services and stuff like that and earn some money through crypto. And then, yeah, recently launched the shopping cashback platform. And then a few years down the line, we're trying to create sort of like a task rapid fiber upward kind of service on top of it. And oh, wow. the reason, yeah. Yeah. The reason we're using blockchain is because like, you know, you, you mentioned that we had scaled a lot of users in the first few years and it's because like to send a hundred dollars to someone in China or India cost you like almost 
the transaction fee itself because there's foreign tra- or there's wire transfers, foreign transaction spreads, and it's just so expensive to send money abroad. But we, you know, developed the patent, the technology that allows you to send it for like a couple cents. So, like our user base is the entire world. So it just allows us to scale a lot faster. And so yeah, it's it's really exciting. And what, what we're trying to build and why we're trying to build this product is because it really does come from like me and Calvin's like sort of college days. So we had to, we were always trying to hustle and trying to find ways to earn money online, but there's no like easy platform right now where you can just come and find ways to do so. And we're trying to put all of the different ways into like one marketplace where you can just come and find different jobs and stuff. So that's our ultimate goal. No, I like that a lot. And it falls into what I fully believe too is fully decentralized system in the world. And I feel I fully believe the blockchain is taking on that task really well because, you know, we're moving away from institutional companies or people controlling everything to the everyday person. So yeah, really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the cool things we're doing too is governance. So like we have a lot of very passionate users. If you look at our Twitter feeds and stuff or like sort of like cult-like behaviors as well too. But yeah, we're letting our users make certain product decisions, which is something that we're focusing on doing more of. And, you know, like who knows the product better than the users? Not all of the decision-making, but, you know, just, you know, certain things. And that that's like having that decentralized aspect, like most traditional companies haven't done so. You know, you don't see Amazon or Twitter or Facebook asking for like, hey, what should we build next kind of thing? But I think that's like one of the best beauties of blockchain is, um, yeah, sort of the people get to make the choice. That's amazing. I read online that the platform will also support skilled work like coding, writing blog posts, editing a video, QA testing, translating content, um, and then the users will get paid instantly via the app. Are these plans currently in action or can you talk a little? This is probably still a few years down the line in terms of like usability blockchain and crypto products are still pretty difficult. Like I, I still think we're too early. Like it's like trying to explain like email back in like 1991, you know, there's only a select group of people that can actually do this. And you know, like there's like, it, there's a famous interview of like, I think it was like 1995 of like a talk show host is like, you know, what is this like at symbol? It looks like a squiggly line. It's, it's, it's like, it doesn't, like, no one's going to use this kind of thing. Like we're still in that phase and onboarding, offboarding for fiat to crypto is still pretty tough. And yeah, I mean, so, I mean, even today, I mean, we still only had about 3 million people that downloaded our product. So we're still like, once we reach tens of millions to like hundreds of millions, and then we have enough of our own users, they can create their own tasks. And then there'll be enough of a marketplace where people can find each other through that. It's sort of like a dating service, right? But marketplaces are always the toughest to build because you need two sides in the market. But if you don't have one side then the other side is going to be really tough. So that's why we're waiting just a few years because the user experience for Fiat on ramp off ramp is still pretty bad, but there's a lot of really great companies that are working on stuff. So yeah, we expect in a few years, that'll be a lot better and then we can roll that out and then yeah, people can like do work except not get charged 60% of the fees you know, and have to pay that. It's, they get to keep most of it. That's awesome. I mean, I, I love your sense of awareness too. And that's a huge part of entrepreneurship is understanding your market and your niche really well to determine which product goes out first, because if you release a feature too early for it, it's time. It won't do well. 
you know, and unfortunately I do feel like the adoption rate, although from blockchain is very rapid compared to any other sort of technology before it's you guys just, I mean, just in general, we're still very early. It hasn't become mainstream yet, but I think you're right. I think a couple of years is definitely be something that we're just like, Oh yeah, this is everyday terminology. Like, did you, can you send me money? Okay. I'll send you like 50 Bitcoin or something like that or, or Ethereum. I, I do see a future like that for sure. Especially watching like the NFT stuff right now, go bananas for like, I think I saw like Trey Song or somebody sell his like album in like you know, 58 seconds for a million dollars. I was like, that's freaking crazy, you know? Yeah. So uh, out of curiosity, I mean, I know you, I know you do a lot of things and you hustle a lot, but the one thing that we like to focus on our podcast too is how do you take care of your mental health? What do you do to sort of detach the stress and sort of clear yourself to make better business decisions? Cause I'm sure like, as you mentioned before, you're at work, Oh my God, my taco truck burned down. I'm pretty sure things are even worse now because you raised over $40 million, right? A lot more fires are heading your way. So how do you manage to like separate work from personal life to taking care of your mental health? Yeah, no, I, I think mental health is something that's not talked about as much and it really should. It's a great thing that you brought this up because like, yeah, back in like 2018, 19, when sort of like all hell was going you know, it's just, it was really tough. Luckily for us, like we had really good advisors that, you know, are really successful, you know, founders of companies. And we were able to talk to those guys. Cause like even internally within our team, like we had executives that are a lot older than I was. And they're like, you know, we're, we should give up kind of thing. And like, everyone is telling you to give up, but these guys are like, you know, the, the company founders are like, you know, this is normal. It happens to everyone. Like uh, if you survive this, that's, you know, when you know you're going to make it. And uh, instead of like, like you're, you should stop doing whatever you're doing. Like you should talk to this person, that person do this. And they're actually giving like very helpful advice. And I also just have a lot of friends that at this point that, you know, run their own companies and it's, we talk about, you know, all the bad stuff and all the good stuff that happened and like just need a place to vent. I think that's really helpful. You know, I think, you know, like a lot of people use psychiatrists or whatever too, but for me, like what I've found definitely the most helpful was finding like-minded people and being able to talk through, you know, like what you're stressed about or what kind of problems you're having and being able to vent out. And then, yeah, I mean, it's always good because you get helpful advice or a different opinion that you weren't also thinking about as well. And yeah, several of our investors now are also very good at that as well too. Like it would just be like, Hey, you know, I need to help finding this resource or like, can you help me connect to whoever? And they're like, well, I don't know anyone yet, but let me do something around and help you find someone that might be a good fit. Yeah. I mean, definitely advisors are good ones offer you the best and valuable ones. But also I want to point out one thing to note is that as a founder too, you get a lot of advice in all different directions. Yeah. How do you filter out which advice you want to listen to? Because, you know, sometimes you're entering into a new industry and you assume this person knows what they're talking about because they have apparently 25, 30 years of experience, right? Yeah. Man. Um, I, I, yeah. How do you, how do you filter that out? Because that's a challenge that most entrepreneurs face. Yeah. Actually, I had a meeting on this just a little bit earlier today. It's just, yeah, it, it just comes with experience. You have to just deal with as many people as possible. And then you start smelling up more and more, it, especially in Seattle. I mean, you would think Seattle is like a great startup city. Actually, it's terrible. Like, you know, Bay Area is like, you have to go to Bay Area if you want to do a startup kind of thing. Like, it's like, if you want to be a banker, 
you go to Texas, now you go to Wall Street, right? But uh, Seattle, a lot of people will claim they're experts in like startups or you know whatever. But a lot of those guys that go flaunt around and you know trying to offer people advice are usually guys that have never actually built anything. They just like to have the spotlight attention to them, and they don't have money to invest, or they call themselves investors, or they're you know just like mid-level managers on like Amazon and Microsoft, and you know, they're smart, but they've never built the companies. It's a very different kind of thing, but offer really bad advice. And so like, it took us like a few years to learn that, okay, we should not spend time trying to meet people in Seattle. Like we started meeting more people from like, you know, Bay area and like, we, like our first investment round, it took us like three years because like we were trying to pitch investors in Seattle and there was just not that many. And there was just a lot of really bad investors. And so eventually like we got to a point where we spent like our last seven remaining funds to pitch at like a conference in Vegas. And then all these people are like, wait, how have we never heard of you before? And then it was very easy to raise around, but yeah, I mean, honestly, just, yeah, I think it's just experience was just talking to as many people as possible and just getting your BS radar, just sharpened more from that. Sounds like you, uh, you face a lot of things in battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's so true, though, when you start a company that everyone has a say in how you should operate or manage or, or run your business. But mm-hmm. you're the only person and your co-founders are the only people who are in it every single day and know yeah. how it works the best. So yeah. the main point is, you know, listen to people, but don't be overly influenced by them. And so I, I know in April you disclosed that StormX had uh, new strategic investors what do you typically look for when you're bringing on investors to StormX? Yeah. So luckily for us, like we raised, you know, the last few rounds this year, we had a lot more leverage because we didn't have to raise. It's not every day where you're in that situation. So like, you know, the first, I mean, today I understand what we're actually trying to do from like a vision perspective and everything at, you know, like our model makes sense or they're trying to hassle you too much or make it look like they're trying to control your business or have really bad terms. Like, so yeah, we would, you know, so I, I mean, we were very lucky in terms of like, we found really good investors just because we didn't have to raise. And yeah, I mean, honestly, you want to find it's, it's like, I, I think first time founders make the mistake of like, okay, as long as we have money, we'll be fine. But investors can really screw you badly because they can take over, they can force you to sell, they can force you to go a certain path that, you know, they don't want. So make sure when you do your paperwork, you don't have like crazy clauses on there that only benefit investors and certain investors, uh, even if you have a good exit, the liquidity, you know, will only go to the VCs and the founders will get nothing other than like, Oh, Hey, you just got recognition for selling a company for 50 million, but you end up like getting $0 of that. And I've had friends that ran to those similar situations as well too, but yeah, it's tough. Uh, but luckily right now it's definitely a founder's market. It's definitely a lot easier to raise than in the past. So if you, there's more investors than, yeah, I mean, just before for sure. So as long as you just keep looking, I think, and if you have the right idea and some traction that you continue building, it's definitely there. Yeah, that's definitely really good advice. And, you know, you have a lot of money that you raise as a clear cut example of, of doing that. So I appreciate the advice. So out of curiosity, what's, what is next? What is your, your company goals and what are your personal goals for the rest of the year? You know, I know we're, half, we're like pretty much halfway or almost done with 2021 already. Yeah. Um, just want to understand where your mindset's, where, where your mindset is at right now, not only for yourself, but for StormX as well. 
Yeah. So from a company perspective, well, our next product that we're launching is a, a debit card. So a crypto type card. I was, yeah. One of the things I mentioned was like uh, onboarding, offboarding with fiat, such a terrible experience. So that should help a lot. And we're not just launching a debit card sort of like everyone else it ties into our token and our token economics and stuff like that. So uh, our loyal users will be able to get like much, much higher cash back than anything that's in the market. If you even like Sapphire Reserve or like American Express or some of those cards. So it's, it's going to be really competitive. And so it should be pretty interesting. And yeah, we're starting to get more into fintech. But then from like a personal goal, like we're finally sort of like hitting positive momentum again. So for me to keep this momentum going strong and just like we, I, I think we have a pretty good advantage right now with, you know, sort of the Blazers announcement and like the NBA season coming along and to really take the users from like 3 million to 10 million users pretty soon. And then how do we take that 10 million to like a hundred million soon? So yeah, personal goals. So it's usually just work goals for me as well too. So. There's nothing wrong with that. You're always combining work and fun. And, yeah. and it just depends on the person, right? How they how they operate. And I, I do appreciate that. Awesome. So Simon, we have one last question for you. And that is if you could give one advice to an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that advice be? Yeah. And I, I think you know, because this is sort of the Asian podcast too, right? I think especially with like Korean cultures or like other Asian cultures that have very strong hierarchy. Ageism is a very bad handicap for founders to try to start stuff just because if someone's one year older, they'll try to talk you out of it and say like, I know much more than you because I, I'm older than you ignore all the noise. You know, like his, I think Brian, you said earlier too, like you, you get a lot of bad advice, but just focus on like why you want to do this. And is this something that you want to give up everything on? And like, is this something that you're okay with? you know, not having a good lifestyle for a while because you're going to be poor for a while. But, you know, if, if this is, then just do it. Ignore all the haters and just, yeah, just, you just got to do it and, you know, learn from failures and just keep improving because those guys that give you bad advice will ultimately, you know, try to suck up to you when you're doing well. And then if you start doing badly again, they'll talk badly about you too. So just ignore, ignore noise is my number one advice. Yeah, that's really good advice too. And I think going back to what you guys said, what you guys said earlier too, it's just, you're the expert in your industry. You see it day in, day out. And you know, for a fact that sometimes you just have to trust yourself and your gut, you know, and the only time you seek advice is when you actually don't know something that's highly technical and highly repeatable. You know, that's not, I feel like it's the only time, but everything else is like, that's the best part of being a founder is being able to dictate your vision. And only you can see what you see. Even if you tell me like, over a course of a year, I still won't understand what you want, you know? So mm-hmm. that's the cool part of being a founder. So uh, Simon, so how can our listeners find out more about you and, and look up more about Stormax? Yeah, um, you can go to stormax.io or you could download the app Stormax on Apple or iOS, Android or Chrome extension. I'm pretty vocal on Twitter. So if you use Twitter, you can follow me there. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, we're trying to, I mean, we do all the work to, uh, you know, work with all these companies to offer you better cash back. So there's really no downside of using our product because it's just free cash and crypto coming your way. And then, so I hope you use it. Yeah, we're excited. And we'll definitely check out Stormax after this podcast. We'll also include that in the show notes as well. So Simon, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We definitely had a lot, a lot of fun today. Yeah, Brian, Maggie, thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Simon. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. 
We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.